0: the open nesters podcast is a weekly podcast that explores new ways of living as our kids leave the nest now in season three the podcast topics go deeper and wider in interviews with individuals couples and experts in areas ranging from relationships and families to adventure spirituality and sexuality
1: This week on the Opennesses podcast with Joe Soracelli and Jim Lacala.
0: Funny anecdote is that we need to network more even as we age, and one of our dear friends and trusted friends is in a networking group and referred us to Jim Lacala who is an aging issues management financial financial person and his partner who has been doing it for many years, Jose Rosselli.
1: These financial advisor experts will give you a real perspective of retirement at the open nesting stage. Just a quick note from
2: the audio booth here at the open nesters. There is a flaw with one of our guests audio feed. We're aware of that. We could not do much about it, but we're sure you'll enjoy it all the same
1: here on the Open Nesters podcast. Jim and Joe, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Okay. Uh, Joe been created Aging Issues Management that talks about baby boomers and uh, lived lived in Westchester County for my entire life. Three adult children, one of which recently came back to me for about two years and is moving out in May.
0: Okay, is that is that a Yahoo like because we have very mixed feelings about this whole issue. So we will get back to asking you after we hear from go ahead, Jim. What about you?
3: Well, my kids are grown and they're out of the house. They're off the payroll. Now, the biggest (laughs) gift, the biggest gift I gave them was independence and they ran with it in spades. My daughter has been over in China for the last seven years, making a great life for herself. And my other daughter just moved to Seattle, Washington. No, she's going to go in as a caterpillar and come out as a butterfly. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we we are in that
0: state. I feel like we are not in any kind of a midlife crisis. I I hear Chip Conley, who's the Modern Elder Academy, talk about it as a as a catharsis. It's like this is this is not a time for us to be. I don't even like the word retiring. So we will talk about that. And also um, the idea that that we, we, how we can live more abundant lives, which I know we'll we'll get to with the finances, how we feel, how we feel about when our kids leave the nest. And we call it an open nest because of what you just said. They were welcomed back. We have to find the right timing for everyone to make their transitions and show up as fully as we can at all stages of life. So I'm curious how you frame that, Joe, and what you talk about. I I, I
2: still live in a four bedroom house with a two bedroom apartment in the basement. Never was a rental. It was always there for the kids as they grew up. And guess what? Uh, Four years ago, pre-COVID, my son wanted to buy a house, was looking at a lease, and I said, come live with me for a period of time. I didn't even ask my wife, which was a mistake at the time, but it's worked out fine. In this case, I was basically saying, here, come live with us, you can do what you have to do. And it wasn't just my son, was my son, his wife and her two daughters. Whoa. We we inherited a family.
0: Wow.
2: It has been a great situation, uh, you know, with the cuddles and so forth. But one thing that my daughter-in-law did was put up boundaries from day one for the kids. They needed permission to come theoretically, come upstairs, do what they had to do. It wasn't, it was, it's been pretty much two separate households. I've had the best of all worlds. Where I can enjoy my grandchildren, and we have our independence and our privacy.
0: And you created Absolutely. what we call more of an open nest, which is the distinction we make rather than feeling like we have to empty things in order to, and and that binary that it's either full or it's empty. What is it that we need to experience in life and in, in the how it is showing up? So thank you for clarifying.
1: When we talk to financial advisor, usually uh, they are. Very uh, wise, they take care of their own very well, and their advice is valuable. We've used a uh, financial advisor throughout our lives from the beginning of our marriage, and it worked well for us. The challenge that we see, and we when we talk to certain couples that are in the open nesting stage where their kids have left the house, is that they got to a position where it's after the fact. And, you know, now they did not have to, a chance to put a, a 529 uh, saving for their kids or they have not uh, they bought that cheap uh, whole life insurance back in the days when they were 32 and 35, it was very cheap. And they have not really put any money a saving 10% of their, of their wealth to, to put it aside. And now they are looking and staring and saying, wow, the only thing that we have to show for ourselves is a huge mortgage on our houses or sometimes maybe it's smaller. And, uh, you know, we don't really have a lot of saving. We can't really retire yet. So the question is always comes up in some of our interviews is what one can do in that stage of life in order to really, maybe, maybe to be a little bit more financially comfortable at that stage of life. And we're talking about people from their maybe 55 years old to 65 years old when they become uh, open nesters. So this is the real million-dollar question that I like to pose to both of you, because we find people that are divorced, that once the kids leave the house, they get divorced, and then that's a that's a financial uh, mm-hmm. mess on itself. Mm-hmm. There are some couples that decide to uh, stay together but live apart, and that's another financial model by themselves. And then there is the open esters that are really staring at each other, and says, "Wow." Honey, we can't really retire yet. So,
0: Or travel the world like we hoped.
1: Or travel, you know, we always thought that, oh, we're going to have a lot of time to uh, improve our golf swings and be able to travel. And we get this RV and we're going to travel the entire world. We're going to take a cruise around the world. All of a sudden, there is none of that stuff. So I'm posing that question to you, and it's a very long question. What can we tell people in that stage of life?
2: Jim and I work together, needless to say, but I do have 40 some odd years of experience doing this. I try to tell people the first thing you have to do is take a complete snapshot of what you have and more importantly, what you spend. Because let's face facts, we can't necessarily change what we have. If I've only saved a half a million dollars, $100,000, I don't know what the number is going to be. And you have to be honest with yourself. Do you, a, do you have a Dunkin' Donuts habit? Do you spend $50 a week on Dunkin' Donuts? But once you have that clear picture, you work with an advisor, now we have something to talk about because I might have to deliver bad news. I might have to sit back and say, you know something? You got to sell. You got to relocate.
1: Right.
2: And then you have a decision. Do I continue to work or do I relocate to someplace that's less expensive? My goal is to get a picture of where you're at, and then talk to you about where you want to be.
1: A lot of people cannot be really honest with themselves. Exactly. The, the, that is the biggest problem, because when you say, well, you know what, uh, uh, you, you buy a latte every morning for $5.60, when he says, no, I don't think so, I buy it only twice a week, and really, if I want to, you know, they try to lie to themselves and try to find a way to, justify their habits that's causing them really a financial disaster down the road. Uh, you know
2: how you identify that? The first yeah, thing that yeah. is a direct commitment to it. Everything for 60 days goes on to one debit or credit card. I have to have something black and white.
1: How does one really be disciplined enough to give themselves the honest, honest, Judgment of what to cut, and you know it's easy to say to somebody thirty-five years old. Listen, don't spend. You can do. You know this hundred dollars that you put today can be a two hundred fifty thousand dollars in 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 twenty-five years. When you talk to somebody in the open nesting stage, fifty-five to sixty-five, they may not have twenty-five years to see their money grow. So how do we tell them, and how do we discipline them uh, to get into a habit to actually save, or at least being more in the financial to be honest with themselves. First thing they have to realize is they're either deficit spending or accumulating. Are you right
2: at your budget? Do you just, you know, live paycheck to paycheck theoretically? Or, you know, God bless, if you have paychecks, because there are, as you said, there's a lot of changes at this stage in life. Exactly. You know, I could I could be right, you know, when we talk about right sizing, companies right size, you know, see you know, seniors out of the out of the business. I'm gonna step back for a second because you talk about you know uh, being that you know nester, open nester. Part of the reason why people don't have what they they ha- should have is because they've always given back to their children,
1: right? Mm-hmm. Right? And that's one that's, of the things that you yeah, you, you don't approve of that.
2: Yeah, but I'm gonna say what I did with my son. I could have subsidized him, or I could have provided him a roof over his head with no expenses.
1: Joe, thank you very much for that answer. It's, it's really hit home with me and I'm sure with our audience.
3: It's a very similar thing. It's how do you meet them where they are, right? And then ask them, where do they want to be? What does that future look like for you? Where do you so, see yourself living, you know, in the next few years? So we try to ask them realistic questions about their goals. And at this point, you're right. It's not about growing your money. Earlier in your career, you were accumulating. This part of you, the, your career, you're figuring, how do I make the money last? How do I take the money I have and make it last another extra five or 10 years?
1: How, how do about I about conserve?
3: That. Well, how do I live in the four stages of retirement and realizing how to use the money effectively at the different stages?
1: What are the four stages
3: of retirement? Yeah, let's of talk retirement. about that. The first stage of retirement is called the go-go years. That's when, you know, Yes, wait, work, make work optional. And all of a sudden the world feels like it opens up for you. It's, you know, 18 holes of golf, once or twice a day. It's taking a a cruise. It's going going to China and walking the Great Wall. So it, a lot of activities. So you usually have most of your health in that age. And you want to really again get, get feel fulfillment at this point. Like the children are gone. You know, you can get someone to watch the dog. And if the best pet is a goldfish, you know, yeah, it's very, it's very easy to take care of. You move, you're moving around in the world. But then after a while, and again, it's not an age specifically that happens. But after a while of traveling and playing golf or my specialty, let's see, sailing, you, you get to China and you realize, wow, that those steps in that wall look a little steeper. Gee, I need a little help, Um Getting the boat ready. So you just go a little slower. So you go from go go to slow go years. And in that period, you're going to make some of the more important decisions in your life about where you're going to live.
2: I break it out into stages, not ages. And this is what Jim said. Part of the reason is if you did everything you were supposed to do for the first, let's use 60 years of your life, you saved money. You had the greatest financial advisor, you were disciplined, everything else. Guess what? You have this big pot of money, and you're gonna your, your retirement is gonna be what you expect. Now, unfortunately, as we all know, that's not always the case. The go go years, you start planning with when you're 30, 40, 50, right? If you hit those, you know, the, that retirement period of time and you haven't necessarily prepared as well as you can, those years may have to be pushed back a little bit because you may need more time to accumulate. Now, Jim was talking about the slow-go years, and they sort of like overlap because once you hit that retirement age, you might want to stay where you're at, live in the house that you're living in, or it may not be a safe place to be, or you may need to sell it so that you can put together a pot of money to live off of. One thing that we talk about in the stages of retirement, and I break it out into the four stages, is you begin, you say, hey, this period of time of the, the go-go years are when you want to do things and do them right and enjoy your life, then you want to talk about you know, the slow-go years where I'm starting to win. And that could be 75, 80, who the hell knows, right? Everybody's different. But you have to start to, you have to, start to realize, maybe I have to change my housing environment. But it has to be a safe environment it has to be affordable environment, and then the part that everybody wants to deny, but is a fact of life, there is going to come a time where you need somebody to help you. It could be a spouse initially, it may be a child, it may be a caretaker.
3: That's the third stage. Well, you're not going many places because you need help. No go. Right? You're not going out as much. You're not so doing what, do
1: you, what do you title that uh, stage of life?
3: Oh, no-go. No.
2: And that's when you start to need somebody to take care
1: of you. You
2: need assistance. And when you talk about needing assistance, you have to plan for it. Because a lot of the things that we do throughout our lives, right, are going to yield when that period of time. Do you exercise? Do you not exercise? That could postpone it. The other part of it is, unfortunately... It's expensive. I don't know exactly where you guys are, but I can tell you one of the newest and nicest facilities, assisted living facilities, the best room in the house costs $24,000 a month. A month? A month. The average cost is about $7,500.
0: I'll interject here for one minute because I do weekly classes for an assisted living facility in Connecticut where we are, and some of them are centenarians. And there yeah. are some Section Eight uh, places that can accommodate that
3: for any type of Medicaid beds. They call, they call them Title Nineteen, I think, in Connecticut. But mm-hmm. there's usually a long waiting lists to get into facilities to get those beds.
0: Yeah, yeah, right. it's true.
3: We help with planning on with that.
0: No, there's no some- good planning, not good planning.
1: Yeah, and and assistance, long term, long term care, short term care. You know, uh, the, these are things that you got to plan in advance, and when you can qualify for them as well. Because, you know, sometimes you get to an age where, you know, oh, you had a stroke before, you know, you're not qualified anymore for long-term care and so on and so forth. So you need to be able to be qualified for it and you need to plan for it in the early years, of course. What's the fourth stage?
2: Well, unfortunately, after you go no-go, it's gone. Now we're talking about survivor plan. I have to plan to provide for my survivors. If I predecease my wife, now she can make a plan for her children. And I said, don't bank on it. We already gave, we already educated them. They're independent, so forth and so on. We may have gifted them during our, to them during our lifetimes. I said, I'm making sure that you have the best quality of life mm-hmm. after I'm gone. And we're gonna plan to have the best quality of life while we're both together. There's a lot of things that you have to do while you're together to adequately plan for a survivor. I mean, we all know about trusts. We all know about everything else, right? And then on the Medicaid side, which we're talking about, uh, I will always laugh. I had a client that decided that they were gonna move from New York, and this is down, downstate Connecticut, basically from Brook to Greenwich because the taxes were so much cheaper in Greenwich the only problem was all the Medicaid planning that I did for them in New York based upon New York guidelines doesn't work in Connecticut
1: Mm -hmm. Connecticut
2: is much stricter when it comes to Medicaid or Title 19 right uh applications and eligibility
3: New York it's there's a lot of things I can do that you know uh, Joe, can you give money. another example of survivor planning around Social Security? That's a little more, you know, common. Right. A lot of us have to. How do you plan for your, you know, your survivor around Social Security? I, I
1: was just, I was just about to ask something similar to that. So go ahead, Joe.
3: You realize that survivor receives the higher of
2: the two Social Securities. That's the first thing that people have to understand. Because rule of thumb it takes about fourteen years to recover that money you didn't receive. But when you talk about it when, with a couple that are thinking about the survivors, all of a sudden you have to sit back and say, maybe one spouse will take social security at a normal retirement age. The other spouse might defer so that they'll get the maximum social security. And then upon that death or the first death, at least the household will get, you know at the current time, $4,200 a month versus, you know, 37 or $2,100 a month. I don't know about you, but that extra money could come in handy. Yeah. And especially, especially if one of the spouses continue to work until age 70, because that's the magic number right now. I won't tell you what the number will be. When I hit 70, it could go to 72. Will, there may be changes. But right now, the magic number is, you know, if you can defer, defer, your, defer your Social Security until 70 to max out the benefit.
3: So 120 percent, the highest wage earner should defer the longest as far as survivor plan. Mm-hmm. Because the survivor will step up to the higher amount.
1: I see. So you recommend that someone uh, defer? I mean, I always thought that, you know, you're better off trying to cash it in whenever you can start, whenever you can continue okay. to Do earn. Do you plan
2: on dying 14 years from now?
1: No. Okay.
2: Now we turn around and say if there's a 3% increase, would you rather have a 3% increase on $4,000 a month or $3,000 a month?
1: $4,000. Right?
2: If you only, if you are going to say, I'm going to live into, until I'm 90. Right now, you retire You retire at 65. All right? Basically, you're saying, I'm only going to live until I'm 80. And I'm getting rough numbers, not exact. Right, but right. I'm basically saying 80. Because every year you live after 80, you're losing money. Do you think you might work past age 65 for a period of time? Perhaps. Right? So therefore, are you going to absolutely need that Social Security to live on? No. So I'm talking, again, planning for survivor and longevity. But if you have cash needs, you take it. The only thing that I will tell everybody is please don't take it before your normal retirement age, which for most people is 67 right now. Yeah. Because if you do continue to work, you're going to be penalized. Right. And it's not worth it. So if you can wait those extra three years or four years, you may, you know, you may in the long term. Very, very few people think long term. Give me the money now.
0: Also, we hear rumors that Social Security won't be around. I mean, what's your thought on that? What?
2: Okay. Okay. who has the ultimate taxing authority? Just the government.
0: government. The government.
2: Right. It's going to be around. Will it be different? The answer is potentially yes. Likely yes. I'm not going to say potentially. Will it be different? Yeah. I can give you, uh, if you ever want to see what takes place when people think that Social Security was going to go out and, out and disappear, look up something called the notch babies. The notch babies. Notch babies, you don't know about it. Okay. People born between 1918 and 1921 actually received a reduced Social Security for their entire life. For the, I won't say the entire life, for the entire period they were drawing. Because when they were going into retirement, we were in double-digit inflation years, and the COLA increases on Social Security like 10%. So what the government said is we can't afford to do this. So what they said is we're not giving COLAs to these people. We're not going to give the cost of living adjustments.
1: Wow.
2: It was subsequently reversed, right? And they started to go, go into the norm, but they lost increases for three years. Hmm. And there were litigations forever to try to recover that money. So you have to understand, you know, history. So there, there are things that social security can do right now. To make it go longer. They're not as politically well accepted. But also, Social Security was always meant to supplement retirement. Mm-hmm. Be your retirement income.
0: Correct. How so. about women? Women are are by statistics really suffering the most with retirement with. These hmm. this age of poverty and as they get older, really not having the right savings. And so
3: because women probably make less while they're working and then. Right. And then for they many lose.
0: years they couldn't put into Social Security. We're not given allotment for motherhood as being going towards Social Security. It doesn't it's not consider work. So how does that how does that factor? I think that factors as well as in large, women just suffering in general and in in being impoverished because they've been divorced and had been cut off from money sometimes or widowed so what how do you help women you single women well, single moms? i'm
2: gonna i'm gonna say two things on that number one i agree right. and number two you gotta have somebody that really understands understands it because number one if you were married 10 years you're eligible for your your spouse's benefit you need a spousal benefit on your divorced
3: spouse when he's when he takes taking his benefits
2: Okay, it's, 19, it's 2023, right? You got married in 2001. You stayed married until 2000 and, uh, 2015, just using 15-year marriage or whatever else. And you divorced. And now your husband or your ex-husband starts taking Social Security. And now all of a sudden you turn 63 or 62 or 65 or 67, whenever, you know, it is you're eligible to turn around and receive a spousal benefit on it. part of the problem with Social security for those individuals that are serial marriages or serial divorcees four or five of them <laughs> the government can actually pay multiple spousal benefits out that is social security I had a, a client that came to me about social security planning and her husband had predeceased her and I said you lost out on X, you know on a lot of money because she was eligible for a widow's benefit five years before she started taking it. What she ended up doing is she ended up taking the widow's benefit, which was 50% benefit, and
0: deferring
2: her benefit until age 70 so she can max it out.
0: Wow.
1: So so it seemed to me that couples that arrive in that open nesting stage really the first thing that they need to do if they haven't done it so far is really consult with a professional financial advisor. I mean I'm it, gonna
2: I'm going to separate
1: something. Yes.
2: Too often, financial advisors become investment advisors.
3: Mm Mm-hmm.
2: They lose perspective. They are fiduciaries, and they're managing your money. You've given them some discretion and so forth. But they may not be looking at the whole picture.
3: That's not how they get paid. That's the problem. Right? They may
2: need to have somebody. Now, usually they have resources. You go to Morgan Stanley; they have they have resources, but they're not making money on you know giving Social Security advice,
1: right? No, they do not. So you look at the overall picture, advise the couple the way you see it. How do you get paid for that? I mean, if not through investment, oh, I'm fee based.
2: I am a fiduciary, right? Yeah. I, I I will you know talk to them about a fee, and we'll talk about a a, a one time planning fee, a ongoing planning fee. Right, it can vary. I can be the investment advisor, right? That's reducing fees. Yeah,
1: that fee?
2: yeah, it's it's a percentage. You know, it's round figures. Most cases, it's one percent of the assets. But you know, if you only have hundred thousand dollars, I can't spend ten hours without you know uh, you know putting in something together. I have to be compensated. Now, the thousand dollars of investment revenue will offset some of the other fees. Sure. And if there's a lot of investment revenue, then the financial plan is part of the fees. Got it. But you have you just have to understand there is a new there is a law that was enacted two years ago. Every advisor should be providing a person what they call a CRS form, a customer relationship form. It's the first thing that's supposed to get delivered to a person, a CRS form, and what that does is it explains the way you and I can do business. Am I your advisor? Am I your broker? And then it explains how I get paid. There's so many things out there to protect. Uh, There's, there you know, uh, to protect individuals. And it is really designed for that, I'm going to say that person 55, 65, 75 plus. It's scary sometimes the things that I see. The first reason for this new law to come out was what they call the best interest provisions. If you are an advisor to a couple to an individual, you always have to do everything and anything in their best interest. And one of the first ways to do that is make sure they understand the relationship.
1: Exactly. So, I mean there's so many different type of scenarios, the divorce, the the the, the living apart but staying together, the couples that have not saved enough. There's various scenarios that people can use a professional financial advisor. And I just want to ask you kind of in summary, what single advice you can give a couple that has arrived at that age and they are just looking around and all of a sudden realizing they don't have enough to be on the go-go years? First thing is
2: don't panic. Don't kick yourself, right? This is just life. Things happen. You have to go forward. You have to figure out what the future is going to hold. On the other side, you could sit back and say, okay, here is my situation. How do I make the best of it? Mm -hmm. So if my situation is I have X number of dollars, I have X number of expenses, maybe it's a situation where I have to relocate. The other thing is there's so many new options out there. As you just said, there's Section 8 housing, there's subsidies. What, what can I get from the government, if if anything? And then there's really outside-the-box situations. You have a best friend. He has a house. You have a house. You really have a best friend that you see all the time. You have dinner with and all the other stuff and share the expenses. Shared housing is really coming into play right now.
0: Actually, if you know of anyone to refer us to, I have I have interviewed. We have interviewed somebody who's doing those elder shared homes in yeah. Europe, in Europe, but not in America. If you had know of somebody, oh, like no the European mo- like the to European, interview them.
2: We're adopting the European models more and more. You know, you could have sickness. You could have all sorts of reasons for not having the money. I had. A, I have a client that was the victim of a scam. I right? lost a, you know lost a considerable amount of money over a scam. And it was a single. It was a a sixty-year-old single woman that you know got scammed, right? You know, videos, all the other stuff. Lost a lot of, lot of money, right? And subsequently, you know, there were ramifications of that, where an elder mother turned around and wanted to help her out, and then another sibling turned around and accused her of this and that. It just got so ugly, right? That somebody got arrested. Now, I don't think any charges or any, you know, that, but it gets ugly. Family dynamics get really scary. I mean, exactly. You can nod your head on that.
1: All those family dynamics states, Jim, would you be kind enough to give us how somebody that listened to this particular podcast can reach you guys? I mean, you have uh, provided a tremendous, Amazing. tremendous perspective tremendous uh eye-opener for for us personally and of course I'm sure that uh our thousands of audience would love uh, to know how to contact uh you or you know uh, you've done justice to the real profession of financial advisors which everybody thought that they are uh, you know hard sales people that try to sell you investment and you are you've put a, a lot of so perspective good. in this thank you so please let us know how to contact you
3: Easiest way is by phone. We love talking with people. Maybe we can do emails and text, but phone is the most human way. And my phone number is 914-720-3337. Call me. Connect with me. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can you know see my, I'm James Licata. You can see me on LinkedIn. You see my phone number. You see my email. So but it's James, you. L-I-C-A-T-A, Licata. Connect with me. Joe, what's the best way to reach you?
2: Aging issues management has been around for a while. Aging issues info has been around for a while. Joe Soroselli has been around for 40 years, right? I in this industry. Right. So I have a I have a good footprint out there. But aging issues management, uh, the main number is 914-468-0185. I have a direct number, I have all the other things, but I tell people. You know what? Don't just take your word for it. Go look up Joe Sorricelli, right? Go look up Aging Issues Management. I do a lot of videos. I sort of tell my story. I'm not, you know, the new person on the block. Uh unfortunately, that's what has taken place. There are in, in financial services, there are friggin' multi-levels, right? You know, if you've been around long enough, there's there's a new version of the prime of prime America. Right, where people have been, you know, they've been a financial advisor for 30 days, right, and they expect. I, I, I tell people, I said in 1987, I went to see a house in October of 1987. I went to see a house with my wife, and we were going to buy a new, uh, you know, a, a bigger house than we were living in. In the morning, we went to see it at like nine o'clock in the morning. We walked through the house, and she got back in the car and I turned on the radio, and the stock market was crashing. Oh my! God. And she says, "Can we put a bid in on it?" And I had to actually tell her, I said, I don't know if I still have the down payment because I was in equities.
1: Right.
2: Right. So what I'm telling you is experience has its place, but experience can also have its place with, you know, being too aggressive. I don't, I think you've already realized I'm at the stage in my life and in my career that I want to help. I don't need to make the sale. I'll give you direction.
0: Thank you
1: dearly and more
3: amazing. than welcome. It's pleasure. pleasure.
1: appreciate Thank you. you having us. Thank you. Tessa, those two professional advisors that not only experienced, but have dealt with aging issues and management, that's the name of their company, for many, many years. And to hear perspective from such professionals that have been involved with so many people in the openness to stage, whichever stage they are in, whether they are getting divorced or they are uh, living uh, apart together or they are just open nesters that are just arrive at this stage and not sure that they have enough finances to finish their life. You know, that was a really, really true perspective.
0: Especially for women. So at the end of this interview, we discussed that because I know how, how hard it is. And actually, we haven't. I've read a book by Elizabeth White, um, she, who's an aging solutions advocate. And the idea is that we have as women so much shame as that women that are not able to sustain because they've either been in our, especially our generation, living from their husband's income and haven't really planned well. And it is so important that women that are part of a, a couple team get involved in the finances, and it's not something that I've been as familiar with or and I've allowed my husband to be in- involved with. And actually, if you listen back to one of our podcasts, I think you can get a lot more insight on this as well. The episode with Vicki Larson, which is on episode 92 for women, and she talks about not too old for that, about women and this situation.
1: Women definitely should be very much involved Definitely take an active part in the financial planning of uh, of the family and the couple.
0: So they gave us such a personal perspective on on what it's like to really have to look at social security in a different way, look at how we not just retire, but how we live and what our choices are that we're making right. in our lives. Um, and and what I mentioned about this uh, fifty five and faking normal author Elizabeth White is that if it is really true that women, she goes into all kinds of statistics. And it's really worth looking into. If we don't want to be impoverished and we're going to grow older vitally, like we say in the open nesters, looking at these matters really, really
1: counts. Finances is probably the most important piece of this whole thing. I mean, we're trying to now enjoy ourselves after our responsibility of sending the kids to college and taking care of them for so many years. Now the nest is empty, open in our book, but now we have to have the finances to do what it is that we need it to do
0: I want to do and want to do because the idea that we're becoming that that we have to change the perspective on it, this is a great act of our lives has to help us shift the perspective and I help us even though i i i'm not sure that i love and i think it's a very linear and good way to structure it there are four stages of life and we can talk about that too if I, i'm
1: sure that everyone out there whatever stage in their life, they know the value of financial planning. But how many actually really take an active role and engage in the planning itself, actually have the discipline to go through budget cuts, setting money aside, be having the discipline to live on less or at least plan or and save? Not too many people.
0: I mean, I mean, they talk about this retirement stage being... A go-go stage if you're 50 and still really active, like you want to go-go and do a lot and travel. And do you have the money for that go-go stage?
1: That's the first stage of retirement. The go-go, yes, you go, you work, maybe still a little bit, you travel, you're mostly healthy, and you move. And then you got the second stage.
0: Go slow, so you know that you want to slow down a bit. Maybe you'll do more around locally, or spend more time with your grandchildren if you have them by then. So there's a little slowing down.
1: And you have to be safe, and, and you know everything has to be affordable, of course. And it's a decision.
0: Yeah, and the last two I don't love as much, but it is something to plan for.
1: <laughs> it's, it's it's something where where we hopefully, you know, get there and age gracefully. And the no go when you need some assistance to take care of you. And then there is a survival plan. Plan for the survival, who is going to...
0: Survivors. Survivors, yes. So really, these are beautiful points that I think that they've made in such a clear way. And we really value this discussion, which we haven't always had on the Open Nesters. And and if you like them, we do hope you'll ask us to have more of these kind of discussions. So
1: we would like to hear from you. Yeah, uh, absolutely. uh, Discussion. uh, We have, I guess we interviewed other financial advisors on this podcast, but we never thought it's worthy of uh, really uh, playing and broadcasting.
0: It didn't have the human element
1: quite as much. Exactly, like Joe and uh, Jim have. So, listen, they have inspired us tremendously, and Mm -hmm. hopefully they inspire you to take action in more planning in your life, in your stage, wherever you are, whether you're divorced, living together apart, uh, whatever it is that uh, you're doing. So, Let us know, as uh, Tessa said, if you'd like to hear more of those type of discussion, and we would love to bring them to you. See us on TheOpenNesters.com, double N in the middle, S at the end, TheOpenNesters.com, and subscribe to our podcast.
0: And to our social media. We would love more followers on our Instagram that's growing, as well as we have a Facebook business page for The Open Nesters, as well as a closed group where you can discuss these matters and maybe give some advice from people that are going through the same thing.
1: Till next time, this is Amir, and this is Tessa, and we will see you on the next episode.
0: Ciao. You have been listening to the Open Nesters Podcast, a production of Kiwi Publishing and Media. Executive Producer, Tessa Crone. Music by Yoni Avi Patat. Audio Engineering by Lucid Sound, Web Design and Blogs, P.J. Ewing. This podcast is available on all podcast platforms. To learn more about each episode and guest, please visit us at theopennesters.com. For questions or to be a guest on our podcast, email Tessa at theopennesters.com.